This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katie Couric. And I'm Brian Cranston. And this is Next, Next Question. Question. Think I have a future? Yeah, let's try it again. Um, this time... A little perkier. <laughs> That's right. My guest today is Brian Cranston. Those of you who haven't been living under a rock know that Brian is a force. A performer as comfortable on screens, large and small, as he is on a Broadway stage. But more than anything, honestly, he's just an all-around good human being. And as I found out during our conversation, also an avid reader of Wake Up Call. I get your newsletter every morning. Aw, thank and you, I, Brian. Yes. I and you it. open it, more importantly. I, I do. I, I read it all the time. So, friends, be like Brian Cranston, informed and entertained with Wake Up Call. That's our daily newsletter delivered Monday through Saturday in your inbox bright and early. In it, we break down the top news stories of the day, we answer all of your pressing questions, and we scour the internet for the best entertainment tidbits, streaming recommendations, recipes, and health and wellness tips. It's like a one-stop shop for smart, busy people like you and Brian Cranston. Okay, done with the shameless plug, let's get back to business. Brian Cranston, welcome back Hello. to the podcast. That's so nice to see How you. How are you? You're looking very scruffy these days. Well, You've got a big beard going. What's that about? You know, it's it's about uh, uh, I'm doing a, a second season of Your Honor for Showtime. Right. Which did incredibly well, by the way. I loved Your Honor, but I read recently it was like one of the biggest shows on Showtime in a long time. Yeah, they they tell us it was the, the, the highest rated um series they ever had wow so that's pretty good and so they wanted to do another one and and i said i'd like to do another season but only if we follow in an honest authentic way where that character would go because it seems to me with all due respect mr cranston that this <laughs> series did not exactly lend itself to a second series. I mean, things tied up pretty neatly, very traumatically, I might add. Yeah. I don't want any spoilers here, but I had a hard time when I heard there was going to be a second season. I thought, hmm, how are you going to do that? How are going to do that? I thought the same thing because it ended tragically. It which did. Is not, which is a, a, not a, the wrong way to end that first season. Um, and then I thought, well, if the first season was about a man losing his sense of principles and dignity and integrity, can the second season be about redemption? Is And I think our society is yearning for that. That's a good Trying point, to actually. Trying to understand where does forgiveness 
exist in our in our society now. It seems so coarse. It seems so vitriolic. You know that that we, you know we we've had people who have been leading this country who believe that uh, forgiveness and and apology are signs of weaknesses in the human character, and I don't believe that. I believe it's actually a strength. And in fact, you've been pretty vocal, if I recall, about sort of cancel culture, haven't you? I well, I didn't I, you did you get in a little hot water about I, that, Baron? Well, you know what happened? <laughs> I was doing, <laughs> I was doing a play in London, and I had a film coming out, so the BBC wanted to do an interview with me, and I said okay, and they said they're going to want you to talk about. Uh, President Trump and I said okay and they're going to want to talk about the Me Too movement I said okay um all of which you know it's it's a wake up call in many regards for both of those issues the question came to me do you think that um Kevin Spacey can resurrect his career and I was taken aback a little bit about that about that directness and then I realized the association the BBC is asking that because Kevin Spacey was the artistic director of the Old Vic right. Theater, right? And uh, I said, I, I don't think so. But if he does a lot of personal work on himself, if he really goes into therapy and really gets to the root of what was causing this behavior of his, and not in a two-month dude ranch kind of thing in Colorado, but a real earnest attempt to figure things out. And if he if he showed genuine contrition, maybe in five to ten years, um, society would accept him back if he did all that work. And, and you did, got pummeled, pummeled for I that. I did. I did. Um, we were in a redlining situation at the time where they thought I was trying to defend him, but really I was trying to look at a bigger picture of our society. Right. Where does it all fit? And so when this idea to possibly do a second season of Your Honor came along, I thought, I think this might help people, people who live in despair and in pain. Um, how do they cope? How can they find a pathway to the rest of their lives? And I, th I think it's a service. You personally went through it yourself. You, you had to figure out a path to get through so that you can be strong again. And I'm, I marvel at your ability to be able to do that. You mean from, from the, the, the death of my husband? Yeah. yeah. You know, I think also this sort of public shaming, uh, which I didn't experience, but but certainly many high-profile figures have, uh, sometimes it's definitely warranted. But I think you're right. At what point is, can there be or should there be redemption? And I don't know the answer to that, but I think that's such a a topic that's so ripe for exploration. And and getting back to your honor, can you, for people who haven't seen the first series, and I urge them to do so so they can see the second series when it comes out, can you just basically give us the the nutshell of this character? Because I found him so fascinating. Michael Desiato is a uh, Superior Court judge um, in New Orleans, Louisiana. He has a 17-year-old son 
and uh, his wife was a photojournalist who was murdered a year earlier through a course of, uh, of the remembrance of the day that she passed. My son who was distraught and it is an asthmatic gets into a, a car accident and he hits a, a young boy, uh, on a motorcycle. He panics and leaves the scene of the accident almost immediately feeling guilty and realizing he's made a mistake. And he confesses to me, um, his father, what happened. And after receiving that devastating news and dealing with that by itself, I convey to him that we need to do the right thing. We need to turn you in and be responsible because if you don't do that now, you will forever be damaged right. by that decision. Right. So I go to turn him in to the police um, and I'm going to hire a lawyer for him and, and see how things end up. And what happens is that at the police station, I notice the parents of the boy who died in that car accident and they are part of the most violent and dangerous uh, mob in all of Louisiana. And I know, or at least I feel I know, that that man, if he found out my son killed his son, he would go and kill my son within the structure of, of the um, of court system. So I make an immediate decision not to turn my son in. From that point on, everything it's, unravels, it unravels and you get deeper and yeah. deeper. It's not the crime, it's the cover up. And I found the character so fascinating because of all these sort of ethical lapses and how one leads to another, to another, to another. And I don't know, I'm obsessed with characters who are guilt-ridden. I don't know if you remember that movie, Bob Roberts, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. And it was with, was that Tim Robbins? Tim Robbins, yeah. And I think he commits a crime. And the idea of doing something and being, like having to hide that and feel this overwhelming, overflowing guilt I have nightmares about that. I don't know why those characters, I think that's my biggest fear. Like not doing something wrong, but having to hide it. Yeah, because you feel like you'll be exposed. Yes, of course. And But but when you think about it, that's one of the wonderful things about human beings is that we do carry guilt. And we, we do have that because we are, we are not made to that. We're social animals. We want to strive to do what is best. I really believe that. And um, when, when we explore in this season of Your Honor the idea that my character is, is going through despair and grief, um, I, I think it's a valuable thing. to And the movement that he makes, I had to really convince uh, the people at Showtime. It's like, trust me, I think this will work. But I so also, you wanted to do it? Oh, yeah, yeah. You wanted to do it. Well, I wanted to do that. If if they weren't saying to you, this show did so well, we need a second season. They did. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I will do a second season if I can do this Got with it. that character. Got it. But otherwise, I, I don't have to do another one. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters. 
without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Now, how is Michael different from Walter White, and are there similarities in their characters? Because well, they are they are sort of, at their core, good people who, because of circumstances, become yeah. bad people. Yeah. Well, I think I think what what Walter White taught me is that nothing is black and white, pardon the pun, but um, there's a lot of gray area. I don't think human beings are just one thing. We have we have good qualities and we have bad qualities. We have things about us that we're proud of and things that we're, oh, I, I need to improve in this area. Hopefully they're not criminal, but but that's human beings. Um, the diff, and Well, the common denominator is that Michael Desiato and Walter White were played by the same person, so there's always going to be a thing through line of that. Does Michael wear tidy whities He does not. <laughs> he does not. Uh, he's a boxer. He's a boxer. boxer kind he's of a guy. boxer man. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the 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 difference is is that the attempts we we want to see uh, characters attempting to do the right thing at the best of their ability. But if they're damaged um, and troubled people, men in this case, uh, then they, they may not be capable of doing the right thing at the right time always. And it's always about sort of how one bad decision can change everything in an yeah. instant. You've said you're attracted to damaged characters <laughs> who still have some manner of humanity and decency within them, despite their flaws and shortcomings. So I guess that does describe Michael and Walter. I, I think that's the, and those are the kinds of characters I get offered is to play really damaged And you're such men. a nice guy. How is that? Well, I can, I can relate. I mean, I'm human. You're such a, well, you are human, but I mean, I don't know you that well, but I would say you're incredibly decent and, um, and, and morally upstanding individual you know i feel like you have certain values that you adhere to and you know you've got i don't know and you've heretofore have played pretty wholesome characters prior to to breaking bad so you know how how come we're just now seeing this the darker side of brian cranston emerge (laughs) well when you when you think of it from a, a standpoint of of a dramatic narrative the most interesting 
things to play are damaged people. We don't want to see in our dramas, we don't want to see people do all the right things all the time. They would never make it into a show or a movie. Right. Because it's not interesting. So there's going to be a turn. There's going to be uh, problems in that person's life that they are either capable or incapable of overcoming. And that's, that's what makes drama so fascinating. You're the happy beneficiary of this national obsession, I think, with crime and sort of thrillers and whodunit. And I'm curious what you think about that whole trend because everything seems to either be based on true crime or a fiction, mm-hmm. fictionalized version of of some kind of terrible event. Well, I know I, I, I am more interested in, in the human element of it and whether that takes me in the genre of crime or a medical or whatever the, the main areas of, of interest are. I'm always interested in the story. Does the story resonate with me? And, and so you look, at, you look at Breaking Bad, and Breaking Bad was a story of, of a man's plight and struggle through this horrific prognosis of, um, of a limited life, and he wanted to set his family up for after he's gone. And and so he elicited uh, a lot of his sympathy were good. for that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's just uh, his decision making, um, and uh, and also a, a an indictment of the health system that a, a fully employed teacher needs to have a second job in order to pay for the special needs uh, son right. and his care. Um, so, I and then you have. Um, your Honor, which had the, the, the concept of what would you do to save the life of your child? And if you ask any parent, it's like, I would do anything to save the life of my child. I would do anything. And I ask people, would you become, would you willingly become a criminal if you knew that by doing so you would save the life of your child? Yes, I would. Okay. Then we take it a step further. Would you allow an innocent person to be hurt or killed in the line of saving your, you know, and then all of a sudden, oh, you can't go back. My character can't retrace his steps and clean it up and make good on something. His spiral already started and he is in this mess. And that's what, uh, to, to echo your point, is that we have to try to make the best decisions at that time. That you can. And my character didn't have the luxury of thinking, what are the repercussions of this initial decision? I remember that scene where he's watching the family. I think he was in the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, Michael was. And he thought he made that split second decision. Nope, this isn't going to happen. We're not going to do the right thing. And the rest of the series obviously unfolds and he gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. Into you know, lie begets lie begets lie. Yeah. Um, I love the series, and I, I think it was critically acclaimed. I think it got mm-hmm. a lot of nice reviews, but you don't read reviews ever, 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 ever? I did um, up until about seven, eight years ago when uh, I read a, a, a couple reviews uh, about a, a movie that I did uh, that I thought was, oh, well, that doesn't, that's not helpful to me. Um, what movie was it? Well, I don't want to. 
I don't want to throw this reviewer under the bus. Oh, go ahead. We like to do that here on Next Question. We like to throw people under the bus. Come on, Brian. Especially it sounds like this person may deserve it. Yeah, um, because this person was lazy Mm. and claimed certain things that an an easy uh, little research into it and this person would have found oh, I'm wrong about that and about this. And so I found the laziness of that to be irritating. And I also realized, and and so I said, I don't think reading reviews helps me at all. And so I don't. I don't read reviews on when I do a, a Broadway show or when I do a movie because it it's not going to change anything. Um, and I, I actually... Most people are saying you could have nine great reviews and one bad one. And the one you're going to think about right. most is the bad one. Isn't it true no matter how many things you've done and how many times you've been reviewed or critiqued, it still hurts, I think, when people say mean things about you. you know, are you on Twitter, by the way? Well, are I, you leaving Twitter? I'm not. Uh, I'm not active. You're on not it, active. No. But you would you? Do you want to stay on it? I haven't really given it much thought. Uh, I certainly. My whole point. I. I. I long for the chance of once again to have a a respectful, logical disagreement with someone who ha, uh, uh, of who's more conservative than I am. I'm. Right. I'm more liberal, but I and I. I. I want to have that debate again and not lose respect for each other, knowing that we're both trying to get to a, an accomplishment that benefits the country. That's that's the goal. Uh, we've kind of lost that. I think we've been conditioned not to want it, given the kind of discourse or lack thereof that is everywhere. It's almost a sign, well, just as compromise on Capitol Hill is a sign of weakness, compromise or even a calm discussion seems to be a sign of weakness, openness, kind of willingness to listen. It has all been kind of, I think, I don't know. People just don't want to do it. I agree with you. And I, then what I was saying earlier, same thing, Um, asking forgiveness, apologizing signs of weakness. I think that goes along with that, that our country has become coarser and and harder and i think if if we can contribute anything to this is to be able to try to break down that kind of calloused uh attitude and dogma and be able to step back in and saying let's have a a respectful debate on what is best for our society, our country, our state, our city, or whatever the case. Yeah. I want to see if I can help bring the country together with less divisiveness and and more spirit of of unity. That would be great. Um, you, you, when when I see people who have integrity, and uh, I I want to meet them. I want to talk to them. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle they yeah. they happen to be on. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. 
criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I know you don't read reviews, Brian, but I did want to read this letter from Anthony Hopkins because it was so lovely and it just made me like Anthony Hopkins even more than I already do. He wrote uh, that your performance as Walter, his performance, I guess this was to you, right? Yeah. Your performance as Walter White was the best acting I have seen ever. I have never watched anything like it. Brilliant. I know there's so much smoke blowing and sickening bullshit in this business, and I've sort of lost belief in anything, really. But this work of yours is spectacular, absolutely stunning. From what started as a black comedy descended into a labyrinth of blood, destruction, and hell. It was like a great Jacobean, Shakespearean, or Greek tragedy. When you read that, you I mean, obviously you read that. He yeah. wrote, he delivered it or he had it sent to your house? Yeah, it was, a, it was still, I was actually um, in Boston at the time doing uh, the out-of-town version of All the Way. Uh, and the, the, the play you did about LBJ. Right. And uh, we had just closed that show there. And I got this letter that was forwarded from, we have the same agent. And so it was forwarded from the agent. And I read it and I went, oh my God. But he, he, uh, I, I am not the one to, to want to make these things public. And I didn't intend to make this public. But he gave praise to not just me, but the whole cast. And I, and I felt I wanted to share that with the cast. And I should have said, please don't put this out on social media. <laughs> I did not think in those terms. And I sent it to my cast and say, I think you all should read this. Isn't it lovely. Uh, so lovely and, yeah. and mind-blowing? And then someone within our cast put it out on social media, and it went everywhere. And that wasn't the intention. I, I actually cringe a little bit because it, I, I would have rather have been just a private private moment. Well, having said that, what a nice gesture and what beautiful words and coming from it, one of the best actors to ever live. And is there so much smoke blowing and sickening bullshit in your business? Please. <laughs> that you're saying that rhetorically, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. 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 How do you how do you deal with sort of the bullshit of showbiz? Same way you do. You you create I'm not in show business. What though. do you mean you're not in show business? Of course you are. Well, you're in show business. I mean, I, I mean, let's your get, let's job say. is to entertain, and you do. You entertain. You inform. We're all in in the business of entertainment. When you think about it, whether you're creating a service or a product, 
we're in entertainment. And I think the way to manage it and what I tell young, young actors or writers or directors, people want to be in the business, get your personal life in order. Uh, get that straight. Make sure that you're in, you love the work and not the idea of some, uh, effect of, of some result. The fame. Yes. You're not, don't look ahead at like, I'm, I'm out to get fame and fortune because that's, that's, that's a I, fool's errand, isn't it? It is because I, I wouldn't know how to approach that. Just focus on what you do and what you love to do. And if you're meant to get anything from that, it will happen. Uh, so I'm, you know, just have a... You kind of, you. I think you've, again, I'm acting like I've known you since you were five, but it seems to me that you are very grounded and you really have never lost perspective per se. Also, you know, you were a successful actor, but your huge sort of success came later in life. Yeah, I think that uh, was a benefit. Because, you know, I've, I've been married for 34 years to now. To lovely Robin. Lovely Robin. And we have, a, we have a very good life. And But it's very, very normal. And I, I remember when I was on Malcolm in the Middle and I was nominated for an Emmy. And we go to the Emmys and I'm in my tuxedo and everybody, Brian, Brian, Brian. And taking pictures, pictures, pictures with Robin and I, and ah, and we get in the limo, and we're in the red carpet, and it's all fancy, Hollywood, Schmollywood. And uh, and we go home, and I pay the babysitter and say goodnight, and Robin walks into the kitchen and turns her nose and goes, oh, my God, what's that? And she discovers there's something stinky in the garbage. And she just picks up the gar- plastic garbage bag and shoves it in my hands, <laughs> And I don't say a word because that's my job. Yeah. And I open the back door and I'm, and no, oh, it's starting to drip. Something is really bad in here. And I'm holding the dripping garbage, smelly garbage bag out at arm's length so it doesn't drip on my tuxedo. And I'm walking out to the garbage and I realize not 20 minutes ago, people were, please picture, let me take a picture. Will you have an autograph? And now I'm taking smelly garbage out of the... And I smiled because that's it. That's the reality of it. That's real life. That's tangible. It's right there. Smelly garbage and all. And that's what I want to embrace. I want to embrace the reality of life. And if you can create a foundation of that, then you have room to dream and go and take chances. But you, because you always have, you're kind of like an invisible tether to something that's real. And that's why you should get sort of your personal life in yeah. order because that is really what matters. That's what counts. It does. And, and uh, you know, I think I think for so many young people who experience fame at a very early age, we see how destructive and toxic it is. And now, I don't know, we live in a culture where everybody can be famous on social media for one thing or another. And... I, I worry about the impact it has on young people and sort of getting, you know, and I experienced this myself. You know, I think you get endorphins from uh, external validation and affirmation and the idea that that they their sense of self is predicated upon their the number of likes or the followers. It's It's a very unhealthy, I think, recipe for living life as a healthy kind of grounded person 
It's an extremely unhealthy um, way of life. I think from our perspective, people of a certain age, looking back, we didn't have that when we were young. What do we do? How do we help this generation and the younger generations to come to, to realize what is really important to them? I think, you know, this no, you know, used to be where if you weren't invited to a party and Monday morning you heard there was a party, oh, that's kind of a bummer. I didn't, I wasn't invited, which happens to me. Um, but now it's instantaneous. That party is happening right now because you're seeing right, real-time pictures yeah. that you are not there. That That is devastating to to young, formidable minds. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm glad... You, even though they're still only 26 and 31, I feel really bad for parents who are having to to deal with it. And I, I think they just need to take take it away, you know, take it away and have hours where they can be on their phones. But we digress, Brian, we digress. Let's talk about um, <laughs> the, your your Mezcal company. And oh. I, I, and I want to know what else kind of you're excited about these days. Are you going to do, well, before we talk about Mezcal, and I have to be, I have a confession to make. I know what your confession is. I don't like mezcal. I know. I know that. The last time we had dinner, we were having mezcal, and you went, mm, I don't know, can I have something else? And I, just I said, don't, I don't, how it's, dare you? I don't, it's too smoky for me. I just, I I don't have a palate for it. it yeah. Is. You know, when you grow up, you know, it's, <laughs> you'll, you'll have an opportunity. But a lot of, the good news is, a lot of people do. Listen. How's the company going? It's gangbusters. Really? Uh, Aaron Paul and I started this three and a half years ago and we were the, like, I, I think there's 125 or 26 different mezcal brands in the world. And, and we were right there with them three and a half years later. We're now number four. Wow. And uh, yeah, we have our eyes set on, on being number one. It's a nice lofty goal it's, for us. Uh, we should Say the name of the brand for Dos you know to, a shameless plug. Dos, Dos hombres, hombres mezcal. And what I it's like delicious. about your origin story, as yeah. they say, is that you didn't kind of just slap your name on a bottle. No. You actually did the work. You all went to Mexico. You went on you know a journey yeah. to find the best mezcal. I say I think I said it wrong. Mezcal. 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 Yeah. Mezcal. And, and and you really you did the work. Uh, you know, that's the only way that I wanted to do it. Aaron and I have the same work ethic. We come from blue-collar families, and uh, we don't really know any other way, but just keep your head down and do the do the, the work. Put in the hours. And whether it's mezcal or your own acting career, if you don't put in the hours and put in the work, you're not going to be successful. That's a guarantee. Um, so we went down to Oaxaca, Mexico, and we sampled almost a hundred different mezcals that were didn't have brands connected to them, and we had very different palettes. I have a, a I, I tease him. I have a sophisticated palette, and he has kind of a a brown paper bag in the parking lot palette. According uh, to you, yeah, I guess. According to me, exactly. <laughs> He, he <laughs> no, but he he loves a strong scotch. He loves a burning sensation. I'm not that way. You're a smooth, mellow I scotch want, guy. I want a smooth. I want to be introduced and seduced into my spirits. So you're having a lot of fun with that, right? I mean, we're the dos hombres. Yeah, yeah we're the, we're 
And what about theater? Um, you know, I loved All the Way. I also saw you in Network. We went to see you at a play uh, in a play in Los Angeles that I thought was wonderful, yeah. written by, I think, someone who works with my daughter on a show called The Boys. Right. right? Paul Greelog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously you love the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do you have any plans to revisit something? Or why are you looking I at me like that? I do, because... It's one other thing that I can't really talk about, but oh. I'm developing something, and I know you're going to want me to—I to, I can't Can spill. you give me a little bit of a hint? Yeah, it's it's going to be a Broadway play. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> that's exciting. It's, a, it's, it's very exciting. I, uh, I have a couple more hurdles to go to before it actually gets into a, an actual reality of casting and these things, but— um, and it's something that is a little a bit beyond. It's a, it's going to be a musical, and I'm not. I, I'm an actor that can carry a tune, but I'm not a singer. But I'm, it's original. It's it's not a remake. No, it is a it is a uh, revival. A revival. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I, as soon as I know, and I've I've gotten the green light when to do it, I'll come and I'll I'll. Mention it to you first. Okay. okay. I, I'll get a scoop here on yeah. next question. How old are you, Brian Cranston? I'm I'm 102. <laughs> no, you're not. You're. I think you're my... Are we the same age? I'm 66. Okay. And I'm almost 66. Uh-huh. And it's so great to see you, like, doing your thing, taking on new challenges, and, you know, and, and not going quietly into this good night. You know, it's nice to... Do you ever want to retire? Do you ever want to take it easy? Personally, I don't, because I think I would shrivel up and die if I didn't work. I would. Um, my mother, God bless her, she she had Alzheimer's, and she, she died of Alzheimer's uh, about 15 years ago now. And so the, the possibility of, of that, in a hereditary sense, is there. And I often said, as long as I'm enjoying and having fun, I I will continue to work. If I, I don't want to struggle to remember lines, I don't want to be nervous and anxious about any of that. If it comes to that, then I would retire immediately. Um, I am not going to be the person on stage with an earpiece being fed his lines, and then I just... Hear it and repeat it. Hear it, repeat it. It's that sounds not, pretty good to me. No, God, <laughs> that 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 itself puts more anxiety-inducing thoughts in my head than memorizing. You know, that's that's part of it. But uh, if if I ever lose the joy of performing, then I'll retire right away. But so far, no, I love it. What a gift! I get, I have to constantly say, I can't believe what I get to do. This is just unbelievable that I get to play. I get to play for a living. And so when Monday comes around, I'm excited because I get to go back to work and play. Uh, it's just the it's just the best. So, what a great way to live. Yeah, it is. I've been very fortunate. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Katie. You can watch Brian Cranston in the second season of Your Honor starting Sunday, June 15th on Showtime. And to all of my Next Question listeners, this is actually the last episode of our regular season. We're going to take a bit of a brief hiatus 
and cook up something new, new topics, new guests, and before too long, a whole new season of Next Question. And you know what? We might even change the name. So if you have suggestions, let us know. But don't stray too far. I have a few live events and bonus interviews that I'll be sharing with you on this very feed. Until then, thanks so much for listening, everyone. You'll hear us soon. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.